You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research here at the University of Victoria. I'm Colleen, and I'll be your host today. Here we are today with Susan Bradle. Thank you so much for joining me, Susan. I'm so excited. Susan is a fellow classmate of mine in the PhD program in faculty of education, curriculum and instruction. What is your research area? Well, I'm a palliative care counselor, and I'm doing a project about palliative care counselors. And I came to education. I, I had kind of started off thinking I might do an interprofessional degree. When I first came to the university, I was a little bit wary because I wanted to do something quite different, and Ah. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to. And I have a bit of a history of maybe avoiding things that I think are difficult or might be too difficult for me. (laughs) And in fact, you're not alone with that. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's uh, shaped my career and not necessarily in a good way, my um, desire to avoid taking statistics. Oh, yes. (laughs) And um, if I hadn't had that, I probably would have been a psychologist by now, but I didn't want to take statistics. So Ah, okay. So this is perfect. This is actually perfect for this show, Beyond the Jargon. Because I know that when we're in our in our subject matter, we get so passionate, right? And if you were in the classroom with me, you would see that Susan oozes with passion all the time. She's such a caring, compassionate person. I want people to really understand palliative care. What is palliative care and what got you into this? Did it happen right away? Is it something that occurred maybe later on in life? Well, it's hard to know when to, when to begin any story. Yeah. Um, I started out, I wanted to be a counselor. I had all kinds of different things happening for me in high school, and I I saw a counselor who really, really impressed me. And I wanted to become a counselor. I was always clear about that. But how to go... Uh, to, you know, do I do a psychology degree? You know, how do I get that? Somehow, I ended up in social work, mostly Mm. because... Actually, I started out in theater because I understood that you could go to psychology and get a bachelor's in any degree. So I thought, oh, well, why do psychology? Why not take theater? That would be much more fun. And then once I did theater, I might do drama therapy and work with kids because I was working with kids at the time. Mm, I love that. And so I was in theater and came like within three courses short of getting a degree when I decided to go into social work. <laughs> oh, my God. And so switched over to social work. And and what um, made you switch? You know, I can't actually remember. I, I think that I wasn't as successful in theater as I thought I was going to be. You know, that I really was afraid of performing. Interesting, and, yeah. And I didn't really have the confidence to do some of the others, like directing or, or sets or costumes. So that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. It just probably just wasn't maybe the right time in my life. And that's okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I did have a a desire to be practical to some extent. And okay. so when I understood that, you know, what social work was, I thought, you know, I'll always be able to get a job if I do nice. social work. Okay, that's so very understandable. Um, and, you know, I was I was working in a group home with kids and teen, t- troubled teenagers, and I had been since I was 21. I just kind of fell into it. So it was related to what I was already doing. I was a child care worker yeah. at the time. So I went through social work, and that took me quite a long time between high school. It was 12 years before I graduated. Uh, I had children in the middle. You know, I went to school with a baby and a 
little sack on my oh, stomach. Wow. And, Good for you. Know, you. I was quite determined. And, and then I became a social worker, but and I was doing child protection, which I really loved at the time. But it was really a tough job to do when mm. you have children of your own. And it really went against some of my principles about they they wouldn't let you work part time, for instance. And I kept oh. thinking, what's wrong with this system? Yeah. You know, we I'm trying to help families be better. Yeah, but I can't work part time, and so my own family is suffering. And so, why would I help other families when really my family needs help? Yeah, and they they need us to be home. And so, I'd been really interested in the therapy and counseling world, and decided to do some outside training, uh, not university training, and become a therapist in private practice. So I did that, and I was a. I, I'm still in private practice. It's been 30 years that I've been. Now, where did you counselor. do all this? Was this all in this place where you grew up? Have you moved? Uh, a bit? I've been in. I grew up in Vancouver, but I've been here since I was 20. Okay. And so um, I did a training program, and I'd done lots and lots of therapy and workshops and all kinds of different training. And it, with a social work experience, I'd worked as you know as a social worker with all kinds of people. So I had a lot of experience by the time, you know, I was in my early 30s. And I still really wanted to go to school, but they were just that the program up at UVic wasn't the kind of program. It was really training people to be school counselors. And the psychology program was like quantitative type research and brain chemistry and things that I just wasn't interested in at the time. So I went on and I, I did a master's in transpersonal psychology through Palo Alto, the Institute of Transpersonal Psych. Oh, nice. So it was distance. Uh, statistics wasn't the only thing that I wanted to avoid. The yes. other was writing. And that's what took me so long is that I didn't know how to write. And I somewhat faked it through my social work degree by doing group projects and choosing to do presentations instead of writing. And I just limped through, even though I did get you know, decent marks. I um, never felt confident about my writing. But what I like about your story is uh, clearly, especially when you meet you in person, it's so clear that you're gifted with people. And the fact that your story says that you don't have to look a certain stereotypical way that what you might think an academic looks like. Because I think so many people think, oh, I'm not really qualified. I, I didn't finish high school at the right time. Mm -hmm. I didn't go immediately to college. I didn't go right on to my master's and doctorate. And so they think they, they can't, but you're living proof that Mm -hmm. there's many different ways to gather Mm -hmm. knowledge and experience. And in what you brought to our classroom, the range of experiences Mm -hmm. was far better than having someone whose experience had only been through books, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In that program, it was just like a dream program for me. It was, you know, I had little kids at the time. And so at that time, it was just before the internet. And so we got packages in the mail with audio tapes and we sent our papers by mail and it was quite a tedious pro- process but well and from what I've learned yeah. uh, about pass fail classes it always sounds like that's easier I have found that mm-hmm. more people felt that they were graded much more harshly in mm-hmm. a pass fail scenario so the fact that you passed your yeah. pass fail that's 
and have it distance that can be really a, a hard way to learn too so that's an accomplishment well it was it was perfect for me oh, because i'm a really um very focused person when i like something that's all i want to do nice. and so i don't have any trouble with motivation or anything like that because that's excellent i just get to it <laughs> excellent so for my master's i designed a course and then i taught it and then i studied the people who um who took the course and out of that I came out with a publishable a self-published instructor's manual and participant manual for a group on spiritual development so I was able to go on and sell those manuals for oh 10 years I did really well it like paid for my school 10 times over. And that's what I mean. I do have this practical side to me. That's brilliant. So we were only required to write a 40-page paper, and I wrote 400 pages. Oh, wow. <laughs> because the appendices were these two books. How amazing is yeah, that? The person yeah. who didn't want to do writing exactly. ends up exactly. It's becoming natural. <laughs> exactly. So I've come to be a writer, and yes. I love to write. I can't wait. I really am doing this degree because I wanted to become a better writer. You know, and I have to say, I'm I'm actually smiling here because this is news to me that you you say that you didn't like writing and that you were you didn't want to do reflection writings and whatever. My experience with you in class was that you're so gifted with reflection, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. uh, this is clearly you're a different person than the person mm-hmm. who first entered yeah. your schooling. So. That's what years of therapy will do nice. for you. <laughs> okay, so now then, now we get to this this mm-hmm. term that we don't all know. What is palliative care? Well, one of the reasons that I did my master's in spirituality was that um, I went through a period of time in my life where a number of people in my family died, mm. and I really didn't have any way to process it. Within a five-month period, my my father died, and then my aunt came to stay with my mom, and she had a heart attack and died. My mom found her dead in the morning, and then a couple of months after that, my brother just dropped dead, and in there, I had my second baby. So it it was just like way too much to process, and nobody around me really knew how to help me. I didn't know what I needed. It was just completely overwhelming. I'll say. So, you know, I went to school, and and then through that process, I had kind of a serendipitous opportunity to come to hospice. And hospice, palliative care, is the care of the dying and their families. So palliative care, palliation is to mask. So it's to mask the pain and so ah. that so that uh, people's symptoms aren't overwhelming. So I came to hospice and I got a job as a counselor on the palliative response team, which is a nurse and counselor team that responds to people in crisis 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Nurse and counselor go out and we set up medications and we support the family and support the mm. patient either as somebody is nearing dying or going through the process of, of unmanageable symptoms. Mm. So it's a very um, it's a very intense job. It's um it's a very beautiful job. It's Okay, it's, there, right there. That's what I'm I'm finding that really intriguing. I know a lot of people listening would think this working with the dying would be depressing. Mm-hmm. all the time or it'd be they couldn't handle it 
But to hear you use the word beautiful, could you expand on that, kind of paint this image for us mm-hmm. on where, the, where you see the beauty? Well, I guess part of the appeal of the job is of what it requires me, how I get to be in my daily life. Mm. And how I get to be is trying to find compassion, trying to find love, trying to be of service, being privy to people's most intimate moments with each other, being witness to incredible love that people have for each other and what what other people do for each other is mind-blowing. And the uh, challenge of accompanying people through to their death is is just beyond what the ordinary person really knows what people have to go through. So here I am in this environment, which is very supportive of its workers. Oh, wonderful. And so they support us to support other people. I just can't imagine a more fulfilling, more meaningful job than, than that. It's actually so refreshing to hear somebody speak of beauty and matters of the heart. At the same time, Mm -hmm. you're acknowledging you're going through a Ph.D. Mm -hmm. program, right? Mm -hmm. And so often in the academic world, there's this image where you're up in this ivory tower, and it's kind of Mm -hmm. where the the head is actually separated from the rest of the body. So it's only the the mind that Mm -hmm. matters here. Mm -hmm. And... I love the fact that you're basically, with your degree, saying, no, you can't separate head, heart, and body. They all go together. Yeah, and I think that that's part of why um, I found it really hard, uh, like a, a real challenge to do a PhD, is because I didn't know if those two things could be put together. Uh, yes, and, same um, here. I feel the same thing. Yeah, just really looking for a program. I mean, I've been looking for years and years for a program where I could do, you know, I, I'm too too old to sell out. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, it's like I'm just not interested oh, in I know. selling I mean, out. Everything about you, you're just yeah. so authentic to your yeah. nature, to your soul. Yeah. So how does that work? You're clearly successful in your work already. So what does this program do? What are you trying to do with your PhD program? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I tried to think about that for a long time. Like, what am I, what am I trying to do? Like, why am I here? You yeah. Know? And I think I came to realize that I was here to learn how to write academically because I have this whole career in palliative care, but in helping people. And I think I have a lot to say, and I want to be able to say it well. I want to say it to people in the field in a way that they can understand and relate to, and that has some credibility. And I've been teaching a lot in my role as a counselor at hospice. I've done tons of teaching, and I've, I was even hired as a writer by Health Canada to write oh, a guide nice. on how to start a twinning program in, in developing countries. Okay, and what is that? Uh, like a twinning pro- program where uh, our hospice is helping another hospice. So oh, okay. Victoria Hospice. So um, twin, like as tw- in? Twins, mentors, okay. forms a partnership. Got you. Brilliant. And I was involved in, in, a, in another program in Africa, and so I was asked to write a guidebook on how to do it, and it was a really fun project. And so, Oh, fabulous. So that occurred, and then I, I was asked to teach at a university class for a friend of mine, and it happened that there were some professors that she was co-teaching with when I gave my, the class that I was doing on relational nursing. 
And we went out for supper after, and one of the pros there, we, we got to talking, and I said, I'd love to do a PhD, but nobody would ever be interested in what I'm doing. And she just said, well, I would. Like, oh, nice. I, I'd be interested. I'd, oh. I'd uh, sponsor you or I'd, I'd supervise you. And I was completely blown away. I just, like, when I told her what I wanted to do and she was responsive, I just thought, wow, like, there's hope. It's actually, I just got, like, goosebumps yeah. when you said that because yeah. I'm probably not the only one out there that has been battling this demon of, well... I'm not really qualified. Yeah. I haven't been in academia my whole mm-hmm. life, or I don't have this degree or this <laughs> and that degree. And to have somebody yeah. validate yeah, well, where you are. The other thing was, was that uh, my master's was not from an accredited university. So I thought, okay, well, there's no hope. Uh, it was being accredited while I was doing my program. So I thought, well, I'm just... For one thing, I thought, well, if I applied, they they might not even notice that it wasn't accredited <laughs> right. the the year before, right? You know. But then I thought, oh, you know, like it never pays to do that because right. somewhere along, you know, this is your integrity. But it was tempting, I right? Must say. <laughs> so I phoned down and I just said. Um, I don't know, I I talked to the right people in admissions, and they said, oh, if you phone down and you um, get them to say that it was exactly the same program as when it was accredited, then we'll accept it. So within about three days, I was admitted. Again, that's yet another one of your stories that gives me hope that universities are actually open to not only educating people in previous Mm-hmm. academic knowledge, but open to the fact that there might be other ways of learning and knowing mm-hmm. that have not been included before, and we need mm-hmm. to include them now. Mm-hmm. And that's what this this mm-hmm. sounds like. So, yeah. oh. And then I, I decided that I wasn't sure about the interprofessional program because I was designing it myself. And again, hmm. I, I have this part of me that wants to get away with something, and then another part of me that won't respect myself if I get away with it. So I was torn. So I decided that maybe I should apply to education because really I do a lot of teaching and and that is maybe what I want to do anyway. So I put my application in and the very first day that the new grad advisor uh, was in his position, my application came across his desk. Perfect. I didn't know it, but I um, I got accepted, and, and then I phoned to find out where it was, and I got him on the phone immediately, because by that t- at that point, he wasn't that busy, and there was kind of a pause, and he said, oh, well, I've accepted, I'm going to be your supervisor, I've accepted oh, it, fabulous. Um, and it was like, you have? <laughs> oh, that's so great. Because what I'm doing is completely outside what... I think everybody else is doing an education mm-hmm. and he had a personal interest and he thought it might be an interesting thing to supervise. Oh, that's brilliant. And so, um, and so now you found yourself, it. that was at the beginning and now yeah. you're, you, you told me before this interview started that you're officially through all your coursework. Now. I did all my coursework, which had its struggles. Yes. Uh, mostly the writing, academic writing was very challenging remember I did my master's before the internet yes so you can imagine how things have changed and the challenges for me were about using the library oh most definitely 
Um, oh yeah, I totally remember. Oh, I went to. Yeah. I I go so far back that I actually took two college computer courses in basic and COBOL, which now most people think that was like the equivalent of hieroglyphics compared to what they learned in computers. Yeah. And the library was card catalogs, and yeah. so yeah, I had to. Totally I can, relearn. I can keyboard. I can, you know, all yes. of those kind of things. I, I only learn what I need to learn. Yes. I'm a technophobe. I'm, <laughs> I'm like hopeless. But it hasn't held you back because look you at know, where you are. I um, got somebody, my uh, that original prof gave me the advice to learn how to do research immediately, like to learn the library, learn all those things and get good at it. And I really took her advice to heart. And so I got to know the librarian who, I mean, she rescued me so many times, and I spent hours with her where she helped me navigate. But at the beginning, it took me like a half an hour to be able to find a journal article and, and... and reference it. And oh, right. I'm right there with you. I, it, uh, I needed the librarians. Know. Yeah. And so... <laughs> you um, don't have to do this on your own. The librarians are there. Yes. They're yeah. amazing. They're there specifically yeah. to help you. And then online to answer your question, immediate mm. feedback. Like to be oh, able to brilliant. write and say, how do you do this? And have her send me a little video clip, oh. clip instructing me, you know, like, okay, you go to here. Click yes. on this. <laughs> I love it. That <laughs> makes yep. it really easy. Speaking my language yeah. here. Yep. <laughs> and so I did an independent study that was really difficult because of the right. It was really my first academic paper. I ended up getting a friend of my daughter's. I was I was just just so beside myself. I couldn't I didn't know how to get better because I didn't I needed some more skills. So this um, young girl who was doing a bachelor's at the time came, and she sat with me. We did three three three-hour sessions where we edited my paper, and she really just showed me how to do it, and that was the breakthrough. And then the second thing that happened was a nursing course came up, and it was for for people who needed help with writing and it was for credit over the summer it was online which is perfect Perfect. for me and so I wrote and I just said like I'm almost a nurse please like I'm desperate I'm you know I'm not going to get through this course if I don't know how to write and I I need help and so in this course she let me use my paper to work on in that course and so she and she even I, I said I'm so stuck and she said oh just send it to me I'll help you so she read this paper I was working on, and she just gave me really small suggestions, really. Freed me up, and I was able to 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 write the paper after that. And then after that, I recognized that I had a lot of skills. I was yes. just missing some. It yes. wasn't that I was a poor writer. It was just a few things I was missing. Right. And that once I got better at those, it all came together. And, and then, now this is really mind-blowing, but... Almost all of my papers have been accepted for publication. Like in that, like I've oh, had twelve see? papers. Oh, that's so inspiring! And it's... I was literally like, I was just, I was just crying. I was just a total mess. I mean, punching the computer, oh. <laughs> like, you know, pounding the keyboard. Like I was a mess, you know. Turns and, out you knew more than you thought. Well, and there's so many people who really want to help you, who oh. bent over backwards to help me. That is so uh, great. The other pros that I had came to my house, and there was a couple who was teaching my very first course, and they came to my house and had sessions with me trying to help me because I was just so anxious, and 
so unsure of myself, and they just met me where I was. They were oh, that's so great. So many like they and the librarian, they're just they're just like hospice counselors. They meet people where yes. where they are, and then they 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 walk with them in their angst. <laughs> oh, you know? that's a really that's yeah. a great image there. And so, okay, now, so here we are. <laughs> are you allowed to talk about what your oh, your, yeah. your research, yeah. what you're thinking about making your final work on? Well, I'm, I'm actually your... almost finished. Oh, okay. Yeah. What I, my question is, it is a phenomenological study and an arts-based study. I'm combining two different kinds of methodologies. And, and what's, asking, what's phenomenological? Phenomenology is where you look to see what's there. So you don't okay. start with an idea. You have no idea what the answer to your question will be. Ah. You're just looking to see what is there. And you're not trying to make generalizations or recommendations or prove anything. It's more like you're just trying to uncover um, what's hidden about an experience. So it's about lived experience. What is it like mm. to keep a secret? What is it like to tell a lie? Okay. What is it like to be gay on campus? You know, that, those kind of things. So I'm doing a phenomenology study on what is the lived experience of encountering mortality, so facing death on a daily basis in a palliative care setting. Oh, so wow. what's it like for people who work with the dying to come to work every day and have death present? Mm. So in your ordinary workday, you come to work and you witness people dying, you stand at the bedside, you hold people's hands while they take their last breath, you comfort people, you, every day that you go to work, so for 15 wow. years, every day when I go to work, I know that every person on that unit is going to die sooner rather than later. This is a very uh, yeah. rich, compassionate, mm -hmm. deep question that you're yeah. asking yeah and and you said though you're bringing in art space yeah. as well so um one of the other things that i've done in my lifetime is that <laughs> i studied with she was an an artist she was a religious person and she taught me a very particular kind of sacred mandala so art in a circle but okay. it has a framework and in this framework it's it's ritualistic. It's approached as a meditation. It's not really approached as a piece of artwork. Okay. The, it's not about the product. It's about the process. And so I was one of her first students. There was three of us who studied with her. And it, it's a very long, involved process. And it takes about a year to paint a mandala. And wow. you're using tiny tiny brushes and everything is very meditative there's different parts to the process but one of the parts is to put paint down on the piece of paper and lift it up and then look for images like you would look in clouds yes and then and then you just outline those images but then you start to do kind of a Jungian process where you dialogue with them you keep track of synchronistic events, things, apparent coincidences. Okay. Keep track of dreams. Sounds fascinating. Is this yeah. something you would do as a yeah. researcher based on yeah. the interviews or however you, or is this something yeah. you're going to have your research participants no. make? It's something that I started as I began my research. So okay. I asked the question, my question, you know, what's the lived experience of encountering mortality? 
And I also used a tarot card, which with an image of the death of the, right. the archetype of death. Right. And I meditated on that every day. And I painted, and there's this visual representation oh, wow. of this journey that I'm doing. So I'm doing that at the same time that I'm studying and writing, and I, I um, interview five other counselors. Oh wow! This that, is involved. Yeah, it's very involved, and so I so I studied them and used all their data, and I've written my pa- most of my dissertation. But what I'm doing right now is uh, finishing my painting, and I'm going to talk about what's come up for me in the painting as well. So it's it forms part of the data. Yeah, it's yeah. embodied knowledge. Yeah. Yes, you're not right. just talking through the head now. That's you're using right. the heart and the yeah. body and all of it. It's very personal. It's very, very personal. intimate. It's a very powerful process. Very hard to describe because it has so much meaning and so many layers of meaning, and it illuminates everything that's come to me. and And I haven't really said much about the work of having palliative care counselors talk to me about their experience of working, uh, doing the kind of work that I do. So this is really needed. Yeah. And it sounds to me incredibly insightful and illuminating is the right word. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm thank you so much for being here today because I am so excited to hear that this is academic work, mm-hmm. right? It isn't just someone locked up in a room just Mm-mm. writing and detached from the world. You're completely mm-hmm. you're completely a part of the world. Mm-hmm. This is really grounded. I want to, again, thank you, Susan Bradle, for coming on Beyond the Jargon today. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Again, thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV.